everybody, welcome to the thing that comes but once a year, the Noodles and Broth episode of Frame Trap, and we have a new edition. But before we get into that, let's introduce the panel. We have returning chef, my friend, my ally, my comrade in arms, my knack to evangelist, evangelist? Evangelist. Evangelist, Michael P. Huber. Knack to is a solid... Eight out of ten right now. Whoa. Yeah. I come in and the first thing yeah. Michael Huber says to me is four star game. And I don't even I like he like he thinks I know what he's talking about. He, just, did, he just looks at me and he says four star game and I don't know what it means. But he meant that too. Brand new shelf. Shelf? Boy. Oh, I'm yeah. on a roll on tonight. Brand new chef, Brandon Jones. Oof, nervous. Lot to prove. Yeah. Uh, because uh, we'll just reveal it now. This is going to be a first for Easy Allies. Noodles and Broth now has lore. Oh. And that lore will only get w- updated one time per year. Wow. Until the storyline is complete. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know <laughs> if it's Half-Life 3 coming like out. 10 years from now. <laughs> right. Yes. That's so fun. But, okay. uh, so in the lore right now, you guys are a little bit farther along than Brandon because Whoa. this is yeah, Brandon's yeah, yeah. first time. Cool. Uh, so I, I wanted to say that. Thank you for joining us, Aspiring Brandon. chef. Aspiring chef. Newcomer, Last, rookie. but certainly not least, the most unpredictable chef, mm-hmm. Kyle Bossman. Kyle, I realize I don't know your middle name, and I feel like I know everybody else's middle name. I'm they fine always. with you not knowing it, Ben. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to say that. Can I take this opportunity to give a shout-out to technician Damiani for that super awkward, sharp cut at the beginning <laughs> of this intro? The... Oh, the video. Here we go. Here we go. You can't hear me, but keep going. I'm not interrupting. No, 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 you're not interrupting. You know, whatever... I feel like we've got some passion. I feel like there's a love between you two, but that love needs to be worked out every single day. And this is just the point of the day it's where torn. it's getting it's getting worked out. It's We're torn. in that phase right now. It's getting worked out. Um, just to let you guys know, to set the expectations, if you're not familiar with Frame Trap, it's a show where we talk for 72 hours about video games, and sometimes we have a point. But today, because it is E3, we're going to try to keep this to an hour. And uh, in order to keep it to an hour, we're not going to be doing emails, we're not going to be doing hotake, but we're going to be doing something that is extra, extra, extra special, and that is noodles and broth. Mm. And what noodles and broth is, is I'm going to ask each of these panelists to pick one big game that really filled them, that made them full, that made them feel happy, that they've been looking forward to, that's got all the money in it. And then, you don't just eat plain noodles. It's not what you do. You put some broth on there, and that broth is going to be a hidden gem, a gem that uh, deserves more love and just makes gaming better, richer, because it exists. I don't want them to tell me about that. Now, because lore is important in this show, I'm not going to be doing noodles and broth. I'm going to be taking on the role of the chef. And right now, the chef does not have a name, officially. And what you are trying to do is you are trying to impress me enough to learn my name. Oh, my And he's roping you into this, Brandon, because he believes that you have more potential than these other two chefs had at level one. He is saying, last time you guys were able to put noodles together and you were able to put broth together, right? Mm-hmm. But that's basic. Anybody can do that. I can do that at home. I can put noodles and broth together. That's no big deal. There's one extra element. The new thing for noodles and broth this year is the spice. And what the spice is, is after you present your dish, after we have the foundation, I'm going to look into your soul. I'm going to say, I'm going to judge you based on what you presented and who you are. And I'm going to ask you a question 
related to this year's E3, but not necessarily specifically related to one video game. It is going to be a mini hotake oh, specific to the individual. Whoa. They're going to have to feed me that spice. Whoa. I'm not prepared. Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> I have not told them what their individual spice will be beforehand. It's brand new, fresh for the show. There is no better person to start out with than Michael P. Huber. A man who could sell Knack 3 before it even existed. Please, feed me your noodles first. Noodles is the big one, right? Noodles is the big one, yeah. My noodles is a game that was recently announced at this year's E3. Fresh game. Mysterious game. By the name of Transference. Noodles is the big one. Yes. These are some skinny noodles. That's all I got. Okay. That's all you got. Transference. Hear me out. <laughs> okay, well. Hear me out, chef. You are trying to ascend to the upper epsilons of ramen. What? Are we allowed to talk during what this? What justifies <laughs> transference as some noodles? Okay. So it starts out. <laughs> You're in this room. This guy's talking to you. And he's saying everything's fine, you know. Uh, the future is this technology mm -hmm. where human consciousness will be able to be fully recreated in this virtual space. He's talking about, you know, this, this is still the early days of this technology. Okay. So we, the player, are going to be the first to understand and to... to try this technology so it starts out innocently enough and he says all right you're going to be going in the mind of this patient don't worry everything's fine like he is the first one to kind of upload his mind into this world mm -hmm. so you know we want you to to go in and see what it's like mm -hmm. uh one of my favorite things too is i love demos like this that are not part of the final game this is like a self-contained oh. prologue to it's, the main game. But it's letting you know the tone and yes. the, the subjects, yes. perhaps. So the tone is set. And for fans of, like, 1980s science fiction, David Cronenberg, Carpenter, Strange Things style, mm -hmm. this is the dream. So it's I, a dream. This is, yes. So well, hear me out. Okay. We're getting there. Okay. So I go in, I go in, and I'm in this house, and this is VR with, with, with these things, these controls, the small little grabber, uh, not like the, kind of like the Vive, but like smaller, you know? Uh, the Oculus? Yeah, I guess so. I've, I've never used Oculus. Right? Gotcha. Yeah, it's gotcha. interesting. Okay. Yeah. I put them on a Judges Week, and they're like, press A. I'm like, I, I, A? Yeah, I don't know. I've never used this thing. Oculus Touch, I think they're called? Yes. Oculus uh -huh. Touch, yeah. Okay, so I got the Oculus Touch. And it's, it's like a haunted mansion. Mm -hmm. And I'm in this house. And you can pick up, like, any, anything in this house to, to use. I pick up this ball. I throw it. Uh, there's this kid running around. And... He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing in my house? 
and it's really unsettling because he can, he can come up close to you and then he'll he'll turn the corner and you'll go and he'll be gone just like these mental tricks mental damage mm-hmm. so what really set this game apart other than the tone was the quality of puzzles flipping the light switch and none of this is immediately immediately apparent the game doesn't really guide you there's some flickering things kind of in the environment uh, mm-hmm. that you can interact with a lot of things you that are not that don't give it away like that so you flip the light switch and it transfers into a different time so it's like this house in 1992 mm. or this house in 2003 we got a singularity going yes. on so you take the keys from the past mm-hmm. and go to the future to like unlock the door to the basement you go down to the basement there's this man down there he's fre- he's freaking out like PTSD. Can he, he see you? He can see you. So then you have to change the the time. You got to open the door, but then go back in time. So it's all of these like time swapping puzzle, like taking things from one time and one area to another. So the progression. How are you moving? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, the the Oculus Touch full movement. So uh, like analog sticks. You're analog like pressing sticks. forward and moving forward. It's okay. the Resident Evil Seven style though, with like the. Um, the angles, but mm-hmm. they said f- when the game comes out, it'll you'll be able to do full mm. full movement in this house. Uh, just like the flicker of the TV in the living room is unsettling. Uh, the the light in the basement. So you go down in the basement. You know you 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 solve these puzzles. You like take a picture frame and put it somewhere. And the kid again was just such a like a big hook to this because he's talking about his dad mm-hmm. and it's about his dad committing suicide so it's like really heavy stuff the kid is sad because he's alone he's angry because his dad is gone it's like touching on all these really intense themes and you kind of like break the 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 world you're in by solving this puzzle because then the, the dad like freaks out and like disappears the whole world like comes apart and then it gets really Carpenter Cronenberg style with like the synth style. And you get t- teleported in this room. There's stars everywhere. And the, a light at the end of the, the hallway. It's just like a, the blank void. And then these like really 80s red and white square clear platforms you're standing on. And... The the there's this white flicker in the distance, and you have to line up with your head these these like angles, and the 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 thing starts flickering and the noises. You hear like Dad, Dad, I didn't do it. It gets like louder and louder and louder. Then the the door forms, the door slams open, and you just see shadows and you hear crying, mm-hmm. and you're like, I don't want to go in there. I'm not going in that room. Mm-hmm. Don't make me go in that room. You got to go in the room though. You go in the room, the kid is standing there over his dad. His dad's lying there dead. Then the kid turns into an adult and kills himself. And then the thing ends. And you're like, what is happening right now? So Huber. Yeah. The chef. Yeah. You can't just present any noodles. He will look at them from every angle, pick them Mm -hmm. up, put them in his mouth. Roll them around in there for a long time. Yeah. The chef is not always a nice guy. I know. So you're telling me you have a survival horror game yeah. where there are puzzles 
it's messing with your perception of reality mm -hmm. and it's talking about uh, the technology and messing with that perception of reality. Yes. I could probably give you five games that, that tackle those very subjects. Of what course. makes Transcendence special? The VR. The VR tech. Being mm -hmm. in this world and, and the puzzles, you know? Puzzles are an easy thing so to... So you said the quality of the puzzles. The quality of the puzzles. Right, and you, you have this, this time-traveling mechanic where you're yeah. taking something from the past, you bring it to the yeah. future. Totally. What, what makes that quality? What, what defines that word in this context? So for me, like, there are puzzles that are, that are like Talos, Principle, and Extreme, and I don't personally enjoy that type of challenge where it's like, all right, I'm going to beat my head against the wall for a long period of time mm -hmm. and eventually figure this out. Um, and then there are, like, easy, you know, God of War puzzles that are sometimes a little too easy. You look at it, you know, you figure it out quickly. I thought, th I thought this was a, a perfect balance. I love when puzzles are balanced. How do you achieve that balance? It's good game design. I don't know. Yeah, but no, what is it? What is in this game? Like, how, what is yeah. your process going through this? You're telling yeah. me what you're doing, yeah. but what made it interesting? For the, like, solving the puzzles? Yes. Because, so the... The door, the like you're in, you're in a small house to begin with, and at this point, I just want to go around. I want to pick everything up. I want to take a knee. I want to look at everything. I want to pick up these footballs. I want to pick up these magazines. I'm checking out this guy's like uh, uh, car magazine that he's looking at. Mm -hmm. Checking out these photos from like their camping trip four years ago. Uh, and, and you're just looking at everything. You're looking at the sink. What does this guy eat? What does this guy drink? There's like pills on the counter. Uh, so then you get to a point where it's like, all right, where do I, where do I progress? And the door is locked. So it's like, all right, I got to find a key. But again, the key is in the other time period. So like it gets to a point where it's like, all right, what, what am I supposed to do? And then I realize like, all right, I'm just going to mess around in the environment more and then you flip the light switch. It's like, oh, I'm going to turn the lights on. Because they were off. It was dark. And it was just like, oh, I'm gonna, it's like dark in here. I want to turn the light on. So I turned the lights on. And then that transported me into the other world. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was clever because it was a like... A virtual and hypothetical light bulb. Light bulb. Exactly. <laughs> so you're yes. telling me that instead of the game saying, hey, here's this mechanic. Mm -hmm. Here's what you do. And then giving throwing you into a room where it's like, okay, I very clearly need to use the mechanic in the very simple way that they just described it, yeah. that you had this very satisfying yes. sort of like, stumble, ah. this sense of discovery yes. that was constructed in such yeah. a way that led you down that path. Totally, because it wasn't just like, yo, go here, find this, or it wasn't like, hmm, that looks like the thing I'm going to need to get. It was like, yo, this is kind of a spooky game, it's dark in here, turn the light on. Hubert, I have a concern. Yeah. I have a concern that you, as the player... Mm -hmm aren't doing anything with the story or these characters. Right? That, like, you're basically VRing yourself through videotapes and you mm -hmm. have to solve a puzzle to get further into the videotape. Well, because he ominously says, like, don't worry, you're safe in here. Don't worry. Yeah. I, you think eventually after this yeah. demo, it's more of, like, a survival for you? Yeah, it's going to be, like, Black Mirror style. Yeah. My brain is going to start, like, melding with this... And yeah, that is what I've led I've been uh, led to believe. Because I what, need some stakes, baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what, what I where I think it would ex excel is to represent something where if you if you had seen a film and we're you know you're not solving a puzzle to watch the rest of the movie, but like you are kind of solving a puzzle in some senses in like horror films or psychological films to understand what's going on, like to really find like okay. the deep meaning in it. And like it's attractive to me to understand meaning in a situation that would be completely impossible to understand on the same level in a film. 
mm-hmm. where it's like my perception of what happened to this person, like you could not have. Sh- it ha- I had to have been physically present in this room to notice that, you yeah. know, to to hear it, to see it, to feel it. Uh, again, I don't know what that is, but like that—that that would be the hurdle that I would want that to overcome, to uh, to be noodles, quite frankly. Huber, you have submitted your noodles. They have not been judged because noodles do not go unpaired. Mm-hmm. You must drizzle the broth upon them. It is time to submit your broth. It is time to give me a game that you think has proved to you it deserves more delicious attention. This is an easy pick. That game is Iron Commando. You know what this game is, Ben? I have no idea. Also VR? And the chef likes that. (laughs) Iron Commando is a 1995 beat-em-up game (laughs) that was released in Japan and Europe only. Who made it? No clue. Okay. (laughs) All right. The... Back alleyways of E3 (laughs) are a glorious place for hidden gems. And there was one lone soldier with one small TV and a retro gaming console. This game is getting a Super Nintendo cartridge release. Wow. That's what they're there to advertise. Yes. The problem, though, was the guy that was there was not the game developer. He was the console seller. He was like, yeah, you know, they couldn't make it here, but we're representing their game. So he couldn't answer any of my questions. So wait a minute. This game's also getting a digital release. Michael Huber, prowling the back streets of E3, as Mm -hmm. you do, as you are known to do. Yes. What? Why? Why stop here? What drew your attention? Because I looked, I was walking by, and I turned my head, and there I see it on the screen. A classic beat em up. One of my all time favorite genres. Why? Because, obviously, nostalgia, but I love the co op aspect. I sat down with a complete stranger and played through a couple levels of this game, and we had a connection. We had a bond. You know, I asked him the, the, safe, the safe word. I said, hey, got a question for you, dude. Like, give me your answer immediately. I got I got to judge. Is this the first thing you said to him? Yeah. <laughs> Not this was this was a random civilian who right. sat down. Right. I was like, "Yo, if we're going to play co-op, I need to know something." You didn't even introduce yourself. No. You didn't say, "Hey." No. Okay. He looked he looked like the kind of guy that was ready for this question. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. He was ready. I said, "Who's your favorite Streets of Rage character?" Without hesitation, he says, "Blaze." Whoa. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Iron Commando. Cause he's Cause you're a- and you're Axel. Axel's your favorite, right? Axel, yeah. yeah. So we're ready to go. That was perfect. Yeah. I had called wow. Brad prior, because I saw the game. I saw it was co-op. Yeah. I called Brad to come over, because I was going to co-op it with him. Come over. A, yeah. But yeah. He had another, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, did you get this guy's number? He had another appointment. No. So this game, this game reminded me, reminded me, obviously, of Final Fight and the Punisher. Mm-hmm. Because mm. there was a big emphasis on weapons, shotguns, Tommy guns, knives dropping in the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the the soldier character, like the American soldier character, and then the uh, the martial artist character. They both have different moves. The martial artist is like big on kicks and punches, and the soldier is more like throws. You can like throw and grab. Uh, it just looks, you know, it looks it looks. 
those big sprites. The characters are really big and beefy. Mm. Uh, and, and again, the weapons are cool because, like, you know, you'll, you'll pick up a shotgun. You only get a couple shots. You'll throw it away. Uh, so it was just constantly engaging. There was like a boss. A boss fight was like a 1940s style car that came up, and enemies kept like pouring out of it. And then you had to like punch and beat up the car. So, so with these characters, one of the biggest joys of Streets of Rage, mm-hmm. I think, is that it's a game where you can hop into it immediately and just yeah. punch and jump kick your way to victory. Yeah. But there are surprising moves that you can do. There are button combinations where you're with your buddy and you're like, wait, how did I do that? And then you spend the next couple of fights trying to figure out that extra layer of depth. Did that seem present here or was it pretty simple? Uh, again, I, I, the the developer wasn't there. So I wanted to questions. know if there were like co-op attacks. We were trying, we couldn't really like see if there were. Mm-hmm. The big thing for me, comparing it to the Punisher, are the weapons. That was really the variety. A lot of weapons dropped constantly. Okay. Like Within 10 minutes, I had seen like three or four different types of guns. Are these weapons something that you get and then have for a very short amount of yeah, time and are powerful, yeah. or do they last quite a while? No, they do not last long. So you're picking up bats, hitting a couple dudes, it breaks. Double dragon style. Double dragon style. You're picking up wood planks, bashing people. Uh, there's a special move that's like grenades. You jump up in the air, throw a couple grenades down. How was the music? Music was solid. Was cool. Solid? Exactly what you would expect. It's obviously not Streets of Rage levels. Uh, but it was a appropriately funky electronic funky yeah okay funky Iron Commando there was Iron some Commando funk. is funky yeah there was some funk what's this coming out on this is coming out on Super Nintendo wait it's not like coming out it, I thought because usually when they do this yeah. it's like it's coming out on Steam and then we're doing yeah. a special there's a PC version okay. and a Super Nintendo release. Okay. Yeah. I demand there be a Michael Huber, Bradley Ellis. Oh, 100%. Super Nintendo stream. 100%. What was Iron your Commander. character? He was like uh, the soldier, and then there was the martial artist as well. You don't remember the names? It was like Jack something and Chin Quay or... Oof. Like, <laughs> like, it was a C. It was like Chun-Li. Chin, it was like... It was Chun-Li? Dash yeah. Lee. Yeah. I didn't... I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't play as that character. I don't remember. Yeah, it's just if it was my broth, I'd probably remember the characters' names. So. Yeah, you know. Yes, I wasn't there for the story. It's a good point. Wasn't there for the story. It was about like uh, from no middle name. Shadow organization <laughs> is coming to take over the world. What was really funny is there's like a giant meteor like coming to hit the Earth. Yeah, that was the premise. I can imagine so. there were two things that were kind of like blurring your vision at this mm-hmm. point. One, that this game existed at all. Yes. And two, that you asked who is your favorite Streets of Rage character and it was immediately answered with Blaze. Yeah. I yeah. can imagine that would be distracting. But Michael yes. Huber, you have submitted your noodles and broth. Thank you. You have the foundation. This is the part you're familiar with. Now it's time the spice must flow. for the special part. While this has been going on, it's a slow process. It takes some time. I've been looking into your soul. Okay. I've learned... The things that you're honest about, and I've learned the things that you are dishonest about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now it is time to divide them and answer a question about E3 2017. Okay. Here's the spice, Michael Huber. You're a man of dreams. Yeah. Okay? I remember your reaction to Shenmue 3. The world remembers your reaction to Shenmue 3. And it felt like a moment that was not just important for you, it felt like a moment that was important for all of us, where we're like, crazy things can happen. Yeah. Crazy, beautiful, wonderful things can happen. Mm-hmm. It's important to not give up hope. And uh, I remember talking to you before this E3, 
and there would be 3 a.m. Slack posts from you. (laughs) Slack is where we all communicate with each other and try to coordinate things. Totally unrelated to work, Huber would just be 3.14 in the morning, and Huber would be just screaming about E3. So excited. So thrilled. Yeah. But Huber, a lot of things that you wanted to be there this year were not there. There was no Shenmue 3. There was no Resident Evil 2 remake. Yeah. There, the list could go on. Do you think that that's what makes E3? Do you think games that are announced that don't come out for years and years are what make E3? Do you think E3 is about the hype? Because that wasn't there, was this a good E3 for you? That's our question. E3 to me is about dreams. It is about possibilities. And you can't always expect your dreams to come true every year. So, you know, I have been incredibly spoiled for the last couple of E3s with with game announcements and information about games coming out. But I believe dreams still came true this E3 with Beyond Good and Evil 2, Metro, Exodus. So is this was this E3 the best of all time for me? No. But was I still, did I still have a great E3? Yes, because Evil Within 2 was announced, Wolfenstein 2 was announced, mm-hmm. Uncharted The Lost Legacy was shown, God of War was shown, the list goes on. So it was an incredible E3, I had an incredible time, but of course it was not Shenmue or Resident Evil 2 remake levels of excitement. So Evil Within 2... I think, right, like, let's pretend both Evil Within 2 and Shenmue 3 don't exist. Mm-hmm. Evil Within 2 is an easier game to predict, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Evil Within 2 is announced and then coming out this year. Yes. It's right around the corner. It's yes. tangible. You can almost taste it. Yeah. Shenmue 3 uh, was announced last year. and it's Two years been, ago. Two year, I'm sorry. Thank yeah. you. Two years ago. And uh, it's been slow to progress. Or not slow to progress. What I'm trying to say is information has come out slowly. Very. Drip. Drip. Do you think it is better for you personally and for the gaming industry at large if that window between announcement and release is closer together? Or do you think the dream, the existence of the dream is more important? The existence of the dream. Why? Acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Hype building. Because we take we take games for granted. Like we take the existence and the possibility of sequels for granted. If a franchise is out, we naturally expect it to continue. But that's never a guarantee. Uh, video game development is long and expensive and complicated. So, who you know, when you're telling an entire studio of individuals that have lives and families to get to work on something... Uh, they're committing. They're committing just that. They're committing their lives to making something. So can they always create a sequel that you're passionate about? No. They have to sometimes make other things, make hard calls. So I think I think coming out like now and saying, "Yo, Metroid Metroid Prime Four exists," even though it's way down the line, is so exciting for fans of the franchise and probably excited for the team because then. They're working on it, but they can also say, hey, we're working on this game. Like, see you in a while, but at least that's out there and they can communicate that passion. 
with Huber and then with Kyle, I had two. I saw two different developers come up uh, and say, "We saw your love of our game, and that gave us so much." And I think I think it is a back and forth. I think it is that acknowledgement, like you say, where just the fact that fans have put so much and wanted something so badly and they feel like there are a lot of series out there, there are a lot of fans of miniseries who spend so much time trying to tell others that, no, this is something you should pay attention to. This is something that matters. And then they're told, oh, well, it didn't sell very well, or oh, it's not the right time, or it's not the right platform, or there are too many things that are way bigger than it. And it's almost like you're saying to that person, you liking this thing doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so when you get those out of left field announcements, even if they're years away, Mm -hmm. it's like saying, no, you matter. Thank you for appreciating this. Yes. It's a handshake. It is. It's a handshake. You've submitted your noodles, your broth, and for the very first time, you've added the spice. The chef will now taste your offering. Brandon Jones, new chef at the table. Hi. We're getting right into it. No preamble. Great. Give me your noodles. Mr. Chef Michael Huber here, um, who I very much admire. Uh, I told do. you about games that he was not expecting. The surprises that he found at the show. Those are, those are delightful. Uh, both the noodles and the broth that I have to offer you, I knew were going to be at the show. I knew these were appointments that I was going to have, and they were for games that I very much hoped would meet my expectations. Uh, they have met them. They have exceeded them. Uh, I, I feel a warm feeling in my chest when I think about the fact that I'm going to be playing these games uh, within, within the coming months. Uh, the first game uh, is, is very personal to me. It is the spiritual successor, in my opinion, to, without hyperbole, one of my most anticipated video games I have ever played in my life. A game that I, I once I found out that it existed, and once I thought it could, what it could possibly be, I absolutely could not think about anything until I got my hands on that. And that was Spider-Man 2 for the PlayStation 2. Mm. And I went into E3 this year just saying, please, please let there not be some gimmick, some, some weird story twist, some angle, some, something they're trying to prove in some weird way. Brandon, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. Before we continue any further, uh, I know you. I know you love Red to Redemption. That is a game that, when you look on the internet, receives universal praise. Mm. I know you. You love Final Fantasy VI. That mm. is a game that you go on the internet, receives universal praise. These are, these are games that are very clearly great. Mm. But mm. Spider-Man Two, Final Fantasy VI, field. I didn't know about until after it had been released. Sure. Uh, Goldeneye, I didn't know. I, I did not play when it launched. Yeah. I, I, it was another friend that had to introduce me to that game. Right. Red Dead Redemption. I had my doubts. Uh, the trailers look good, but it, again, it just wasn't something from the announcement of it that I absolutely could not wait to play. But what is it about Spider-Man 2 that has you all giddy inside? Uh, I have not prepared food for you before, but I'm a fan of the uh, the open world variety yes. of video games. Yes. Um, and I've played many games where I've traveled around New York City, and I compare 
uh, traversal in Spider-Man, not just um, not just to other open world games, but I think about things like go with me here, uh, like an ATV uh, MX Unleashed, where you're like there's rolling hills and you can't just go bombing through the hills. You have to know when to regulate your speed. So you're going down one hill and then up another one. There is mm -hmm. a swing. There is a natural momentum that you have to keep maintain. Yes. That is not. It's not something you can teach someone. It's something. It's something you have to feel. Uh, granted, I did not play Spider-Man 2, or Spider-Man, uh, PlayStation 4, Spider-Man. Um, but I saw it demoed by someone who sat next to me and played the game. Uh, and it, all of my boxes are checked. A every concern that I had going into it, uh, every uh, issue that could possibly pop up uh, is not present. Uh, and it feels like an affirmation for me. And I would like to tell you why. Uh, the first thing that excited me, uh, Peter Parker is 23 years old. Uh, he has been Spider-Man for a while. This is, uh, they described him as Spider-Man in his prime. No origin story. This is Arkham Spider-Man. This is as many villains as they could possibly put in this game, Spider-Man. Uh, while still introducing new things that he doesn't know. Uh, and so that excites me. Obviously, we got the teaser of Miles Morales. Like, so that excites me, like, not only bringing in, you know, because I had played Spider-Man games before, and, like, Aunt May and Mary Jane, and, you know, these characters didn't really have a presence beyond cutscenes. You know, and here I'm, I'm seeing teases of, of, of the, the breadth of the Spider-Man universe. Granted, they said uh, there will be no Deadpool. There's no Fantastic Four. We are just, we're not, you know, going to do any MCU stuff. It is just this world. But I like that we don't have to deal with origin. I like that uh, a, a threat is going to be thrown at Spider-Man uh, that is not, again, gimmicky. It's not like before they've done, like, time travel or mm -hmm. the symbiote takes over the city. There's no gross symbiote in the city. This is the most gorgeous New York I've ever seen in a video game. Uh, and what was special about this as well is this is the second time that I've seen this demo. So I see this. We all watch this at the PlayStation conference. And so I'm going into this uh, and wondering what is he going to do differently? And surprisingly, the combat didn't change up that much. Again, I saw him playing the game, so I know this was playable. Uh, everything up to when Spider-Man spoke to Wilson Fisk was exactly the same. He, I mean, you know, I could tell it was a different gameplay, but he used the same tools. Um, he was showing off, you know, some of the things he could do in the environment. And then, after he spoke to Fisk, and Fisk told him to keep his men alive, if you go back and watch the demo, he jumps up to a bridge between two parts of the building. And in the demo, he got up there very quickly. But in the demo that I saw, he jumped out of the building and took his time and just went very calmly around the building. Mm -hmm. And it was my favorite part of the entire demo because it was just open, it was freeing, it was, it, it was, it was them demonstrating like, it was the press conference, we really wanted to get, in the interest of time, we wanted to get through it as quickly as we can. Right. But I'm just gonna go out here and I'm just going to fly around this building because I am not locked into anything here. Like this is, this is New York. You can see it in the background. This is a very, very tall building. Mm -hmm. um, and, I noticed because I was not, you know, seeing it on a small screen like I saw lots of press conferences this week. Uh, I was watching it on a big television in front of me uh, that a lot of these things he was manipulating in the environment, you know, moving, uh, you know, something around to knock three guys over or, you know, picking up objects and hitting them with it. Uh, there were uh, at least double the amount of things that he actually interacted with that were available in the environment. I saw mm. that L1 button pop up a lot. Um, one concern that I had uh, that uh, a lot of people, you know, told me and was the first, not even the first question I asked, but the first question asked immediately after the demo. I raised my hand and I said, people are pissed about quick time events. I'm like, yeah. people, are, people are frustrated about that. Right. Uh, and they don't want to, that is not the Spider-Man that they want. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking going into it uh, that I told them and they, they understood where I was coming from was, my understanding is you want to show your best hand at E3. You want to show variety. 
and you want to have these big moments that Spider-Man is known for. I think one of the most uh, iconic images that I can picture in Spider-Man, I, I couldn't tell you what line it was from or when the comic was released, was uh, there's a, just a massive object fell on him, and he was holding it up. And he wasn't in danger of being crushed, but he couldn't move. And he, and he was trying to lift this thing, and the entire comic is just him underneath this giant massive object. And I, that's very important for Spider-Man for me. Just something coming flying at him that you look at and you think, there's no way I could handle that situation. And somehow he is acrobatic enough, he's clever enough, he seems to do the impossible. And I think even though quick time events can be a burden, I do think they do help represent that when done well. Uh, I've played games like Resident Evil 4, I enjoyed those moments. Like, I, I think there are good moments where you can do that. Yeah, um, I think when we're talking about quick time events, Resident Evil 4 is the game that comes up that says, no, 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 this is a game that had a lot of quick time events that is excellent. That Until doesn't, Dawn. That doesn't, sure. Shenmue. Had lots of those moments, yeah. Sure. <laughs> the original. Um, what, do you, what do you say to the people that think, we live in a time where we want those moments, we want those moments where Spider-Man is doing something supernatural, where we feel that struggle, but we want to feel it without having to mash a button. There are, are, there, are there not more creative ways of doing this? Um what, how they addressed it first and foremost, and this also uh, was a, a prediction of mine, was that we were watching a very specific story segment uh, that happens very early on. It's the introduction of a main villain of the game, a character that I did not know that I'm excited to to learn more about. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to say Invisible Man. It's like Matter Nothing Man or something. Uh, Mr. This, Negative. Mr. Negative. Um, and uh, uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to learn more about you know the Spider-Man universe. And so I think this was a big set piece. I don't think you will be doing this a lot. And they mm -hmm. said this this represented those quick time events represent a very small percentage of everything you will be doing in this world. Any questions that we ask them about, like you know, chuckle, are there the balloon girl and all that stuff? And he's like, we're not talking about that. And I was like, okay, like how how's the mission structure work? He's like, not really talking about that. Not going into how the open world works, right? Which to me, in every instance, meant yeah, but we're just not specifically saying. Like, I like the that it cha they changed at the end when he does the first person, which which again is something that a lot of the previous Spider-Man games have done. So they've they've learned those lessons. They're 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 testing and implementing this stuff. And to be honest, we're we're probably not getting this game until the end of next year if we're lucky. I think. Uh, and they might take that to heart and might, if they're planning sequences right now, maybe dial back on them and be like, you know, there's no physical way that we can have this crane drop and have you in real time in flying around the world, wrap around it and tie it to buildings. It's just too much. You know, sure. like, uh, we, you know, that's that's far beyond what we could, what we have the potential to do as developers for an incredible developer as Insomniac. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe they dialed some of that back. One of the things that I did like, though, that I think is a great counter to it that someone who enjoys context, I think, will appreciate. Uh, that crane is stuck to that building. When you finish that mission, it's still there. So when you're zipping so through you the world... So you can zip around and just run on that crane. And after a certain amount of time, it will go away. Because webbing goes away. And they will know... I mean, they'll, the, you know, fire department and, you know, paramedics and people come in and, and clean oh, it up and, sure. and you know. Um, but uh, he was very quick when he asked that question. I was like, is the crane still there? And he's like, yep, but after a while it goes away. Next question? I was just like, yeah. Like, that just absolutely made sense to him. So I think it's a good compromise. And I'm mm -hmm. excited to see how that city changes, uh, how, you know, like these kind of set piece moments that happen around the world. You know, I think about something like that. And another concern I have is like, I really want to go to Peter's apartment. I really want to go to Aunt May's house. I really want these places to be there. Uh, and uh, I didn't get answers on that because they didn't get into the open world. But I have, uh, I have positive vibes. Um, uh, one other element that I really appreciate in demos is when someone screws up. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I really enjoyed when the guy fell off the cliff in Uncharted. That was great. Yeah. You know, uh, it was very endearing to me. And one of the uh, just little tiny moves, there's all sorts of little like things that he can do in the environment now when he's traversing. But he has this little 90 degree, I want to go that way move. 
And uh, that was a problem in Spider-Man uh, 2 when you didn't have enough momentum and it's like, I just want to get around this corner of this building as fast as possible. Just oh, webbing-wise. Webbing yeah, right? while I'm swinging. Just yeah. completely switch my direction. And he missed one. <laughs> he kept on going. And like, you know, sent an expletive after he did it. It was like, ah, damn it. Like, you know, I tried to go back. Mm -hmm. And the guy, like, creative director apologized after. He's like, what happened there is he did a side thing. And we all were like, it was great. Like, I actually really liked that moment. Brandon, um, there's, there's one huge element of this game that we haven't talked about. Uh, and what do you say to the people that, that watch that E3 trailer and they go, ah, it just looks like Batman. They're just copying the Batman formula. What? Is it going to be fun fighting people in this game? Is it going to feel new? Is it going to feel different? Is it going to feel Spider-Man? Uh, the one of the things that uh, they really wanted to focus on. I mean, this man loves Spider-Man. His creative director, like, mm -hmm. uh, was deeply, deeply devoted to this character. Brian Intihar. Thank you very much, Mr. Bossman. Uh, Helping you out. You're a newbie. You knew at this. this is, yeah, <laughs> taking notes. Um, Don't put the chopsticks in like that. <laughs> um, there were multiple elements to the combat. One, one thing that he said is, is you know, I don't want, I don't see, you know. Um, uh, him beating up people in a sense like he's not solving these problems with his fists like he applies force when he wants to and when he has to but like more than anything he is an acrobat and mm. like that's how he uses you know uh, that's how he, he wants to solve things and there one thing that I don't like I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Batman traversal in Batman is not my favorite as far as like from a realistic perspective I like I, I enjoy exploring that city but like <laughs> you can right it's great it's fantastic but like you, you can you you go on like a straight line towards a building, so like you can catch like you know a fire escape at some time and just kind of like I've had I've had some janky moments in that game. Just traversing is all I'm saying. Uh, they got better at it over time, uh, but the actual act of <clears throat> coasting through Gotham is not my favorite part. My favorite parts are the story. My it favorite seems parts like... are, are are literally just seeing the world and seeing how that comes together. It seems Would like he... somebody might be receiving some some hazing in the chef dormitory tonight. <laughs> I'm just saying the physical movement. Uh, in Spider-Man is 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 the sweet sauce is is the, the one of the cores of, of the actual taste of the noodles is one of the reasons why I will return to I will play Arkham anytime any day but I will not play Arkham to fly around uh -huh. or I will play Spider-Man just that, to explore the city. Does that translate to the combat? I mean, are you are you using your agility more than you're using your brute force? I think Batman looks kind of silly when he dodges in Arkham. Sometimes mm. he'll move. An extremely far distance in an extremely short amount of time, fly almost. And there's something about the size, uh, the build of Spider-Man, uh, in a way that he's not just like I'm just gonna my, my body's just gonna fly over there. Like he almost flips every single time. Like it's just the the way they uh, you know will slow down specific moments. And it was I played a lot of open world games. I saw a lot of open world games being played at E3. Uh, this game absolutely had the smoothest animation of anything that I saw as far as combat was concerned. I too, Jones, saw the stage. I saw the stage demo. A lot of some like Zack Snyder slow motion in this demo. Well, there's a that too much. There's that in Arkham as well. A little too, and I don't like it in Arkham either. I'm just saying, like mid combat, you're zipping around, you're fighting, and then it's like, <gasps> what don't you like about that? <laughs> It just interrupts the flow? It interrupts the flow. It's too much. It's like uh, Need for Speed Payback. Everyone was like, oh, it's too much. I think I, it's, hold on. I think it's finishers in Spider-Man. I think if you do, a, if you finish like the last guy in a group, that's when Spidey does the slow motion. But think, think of it also as like a Gears of War hold the B button to see what we want you to see. Mm. You know, so I think in some instances, like if you're surrounded by people, it's like this new big guy joined the battlefield. Just mark where he is. And then, okay, now go back to whatever you were doing. Frame um, trap. 
Noodles and broth will not. We'll always stop for a nugget. What is that nugget, blood? Um, I don't know if they said this in your guys' demo, but the, uh, I, that slow-mo is uh, it's like a timing thing. If you if you hit the timing at the right time to dodge, like you'll get that extra. So so what if I'm a master at dodging? It's going to keep slowing that's down? That's not quite the, the slow-mo Huber is talking about, where like the camera comes in close. like The camera shifts in towards Spider-Man like and slows There was multiple types of slow yeah. motion. I was overwhelmed <laughs> yeah, yeah. by the slow motion. I'll count them. The next time I okay. watch that demo, I'll, okay. I'll add up all the okay. slow motion. I think the one blood, Blood's talking about is like the Spidey sense. Okay. Uh, I also appreciate. You hate all that. Everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. You're gonna pretend Spider-Man doesn't have Spidey sense suddenly? No, Spidey, spidey sense is fine. So wait, just I, like I need some clarification over. on what the Spidey sense is. So it's, it seems like a reward for timing your dodge correctly. It's, and, and is it like which the time? glow red. Uh huh. And then I, th- I don't, I don't actually know what command it is, Blood. What pre- button you're pressing? But you know. How else are you supposed to show that Spider-Man is aware of incoming danger? Sure. Then to slow down time. They have like the the excl- the lightning bolts mm-hmm. ahead. That's, true. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Slow motion. Brandon, I I enjoyed no one died in the demo. I enjoyed that there were moments where people were being flung out of buildings. Yeah, that's, that's what I want to ask you, And he made Jones. the point to grab them and, and bring them back. Okay, so if you, like, punch someone off of the building, right. will he automatically just, like, fizz, fizz. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So cool. Uh, and, yeah, it, it was just, uh, frankly, the most polished game that I saw on display at E3. Wow, as far as, and you saw a lot of games. You know what? As, I agree. As far as what they were uh, ultimately attempting, yeah. what they brought to the show, and how it performed. I, I've seen people... Uh, Upset that it's only 30 frames per second. Um, it's an open world game. Uh, I, that those are tough. That's a big, big city. Uh, they uh, they didn't. Uh, multiple people asked in different ways how big the city was, and he always just said it's big. It's, yeah, it's a big, big city. Uh, but I mean, you can get a good a good you know look at it from all angles because he's up he's up very high in that demo. Uh, mm-hmm. Something just compared it to Witch Time and Bayonetta, which I think is a good comparison. Huber hates it. I like Witch Time. Oh, Witch Time pulls it off. Witch Time pulls it off. It's good example. That's What's a different the difference? Kind of, it's the exact same thing. It's it dodging at the, the right time. It has to do with the flow of combat. Uh, Bayonetta is extremely fast-paced, uh-huh. and when you hit that witch time, it's because it ju- it feels right when you like do a backflip, you get it for a couple seconds, and it immediately goes right back into combat. This was like slow to a crawl, and then back out. It's like Bayonetta well, is like... Extremely fast, a little bit of slow, back to fast. Hold on, the important thing is is in, is in the Spidey Sense mode, is Spider-Man moving slow as well? Is it is it dramatizing his attack? Because in which time, enemies are moving slow, but you're moving the same speed, so, so it doesn't close. ruin the flow. Yeah. And that's 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 you're still in control. There's a yeah. there's a there's this like slow motion take me out of control to like spin around Michael Bay style of Spider-Man. Those are the finishers. Those it's are the finishers. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's a whole different thing. Just a yeah, nitpick. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's fair. Just a nitpick. It's fair. It's fair. Brandon. Uh to to, to finish the noodle and play, I just want to read it. something I said <laughs> no, before. Please don't interrupt the chef. No. Oh, I'm sorry. I just okay. wanted to add one more thing. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not, he's, I'm not quite finished with the He's showing care in the noodle. <laughs> and he's showing poise as we sling questions yeah. as well. Yes. Uh, he is he's showing poise. Uh style counts. <laughs> I, I I know I I know I illustrated this before, but uh, this is a completely independent game from everything that's going on at Marvel. Uh, they they are talking with Marvel, but again, this is not connected to any show, any mm-hmm. film. This is a completely new story, and so that a excites me. That excites me that I will not see anything recreated. That I'm looking forward to absolutely every single recreation. Their take on you know the villains, the characters, 
And I was impressed that they showed so little in that regard of all of the other people I'll be meeting in this game and still had a demo that impressed me that much. Thank you. Brandon, a lot of people underestimate the noodles. A lot of people think, oh, well, you know, if it's bad, I can just cover it up with some <laughs> delicious broth. I can I can throw a game nobody's ever heard of. That's really gonna it's really gonna send them crazy. Everybody's heard of Spider Man, but you didn't do that. You didn't do that. You arranged the noodles neatly and carefully, but no matter how good those noodles are, they do still need broth. Uh, the broth that I will prepare for you today uh, was uh, was a broth of uncertainty, uh, of hopes, but of, of also fears. Uh, of a sequel to a game, of a game that was in one of the major press conferences from this E3. So this is a game that is not unknown to many people. Uh, this may not be a game that's on their radar. This may be not a game that they were necessarily convinced of hmm. from watching the press conference. Uh, it is a sequel to a game that frustrated me very much. It is a sequel to a game, Chef, that you and I have a relationship with. Ah. It is a sequel to a game that we stream together. And I forgot about this stream. Thank you for saying that. I forgot. It is a sequel to a game called State of Decay. Now, I'm not going to pretend that there are not a lot of zombie games at E3 this year, and that I'm not totally down with almost all of them. <laughs> but State of Decay beat me down. State of Decay chewed me up and spit me out. State of Decay, much like my early Souls experiences, seemed to not want me to play it. And I take the fault on that. I, I gave up. I ran away crying, cut, bleeding, and, you know... Wait a minute. Just, you know, hid in the corner playing Disney Infinity. Brandon, people love State of Decay. State of Decay is great. People consider it... I just had a bad experience with State of Decay. What was your bad experience? Why, what, how did the game beat you down and made you run back to your Infinity? I was unable to find weapons. Mm. I searched about four or five houses... Uh, and really only came up with basic blunt objects. Never found a gun. And uh, there was one mission that was a house that was across the street from where my HQ was. And I figured this would be just a regular house that I could go in and finish a mission. And uh, I'm not kidding when 40 zombies just came... Just, just, it was like a clown car house of zombies. And it was just one after the other. And a character died And with the crappy weapons that I was able to find. And so I went back to the house and brought another character. And that character died. And then I brought my third character, and that character died. And I lost the game. I mean, I, I was unable to continue. All I, I completely wiped. Uh, and for those of you unfamiliar with State of Decay, that is a game wipe. Uh, there is no return from that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's possible in Fire Emblem to have all of your characters die. But that's basically what happened. Um, and I was so fascinated by the concept of this game. Uh, this, game is not, this game does not have a central character. This game has a community of people. Uh, this game is not about... Uh, you know, taking down Umbrella as much as I love that. It's it's not huge and theatrical that way. It's right. uh, it's very gritty. It's very realistic. It's it's very much like what I want the show Walking Dead to be. Where you know that's this community of people that are not only trying to, uh, in a dead rising sense, become invincible against yep. the dead, but uh, create some kind of life for themselves. It's focusing on the immediate needs. And I appreciate its XCOM level of punishment. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wish there was a way for me to work around it. And State of Decay Two is making. A lot of things happen that uh, make me very happy. 
Uh, first of all, the first State of Decay did not run that well. I know it had a lot of updates, but I played it nope. right away after it came out, and it was um, it was a buggy, buggy game. The frame rate was was not great, um, and uh, saw this run on the Xbox One X. Um, the animation had a, had a little bit of jank here and there, um, but uh, uh, the little charming kind of jank. The jank that it doesn't, you know, I, I wouldn't die because of that jank there. The enslaved was, Odyssey to the West kind of jank. That was like, you know, switching from my axe to my machine gun kind of jank. You know, just like, oh, you know, sure. stuff that you could clean up, stuff that I could forgive, stuff that probably 30 hours into a game session I just becomes invisible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the game was played multiplayer. There were two people uh, in the game. You can, uh, much like the uh, Destiny where they're having, uh, which is the name I can't think of right now, but the uh, Come Join Our Game. If, we have, if there's three of us. And guided games. Guided, guided games. games, yeah. Uh, they have a uh, guided game set up where you can volunteer as a helper, you know, kind oh. of journey style. You can be like, I want to just jump into somebody else's game and help them. Cool. And you will jump in. If your character dies in their game, that character is dead. Uh, so you got to be careful of who you Whoa, take and what you undertake like in troll this world. So they're, they're not necessarily troll city. that is troll city compromising Ooh. that that punishment, <sighs> right. but they're making it easier for you to get paired up with people that know what they're doing. Correct. You can boot them instantly. So if somebody comes in your game and starts messing around, hey, come this way. Come like there's items. There's a really good weapon over here. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm but out. at that point, isn't it too late? Yeah. At that point, aren't you already dead? But it's I mean, you have, you have games like you know. Uh, like player unknown, like you have stuff sure. that, that you know there there, sure. there is that little yeah. the, tenuous is there, uneasy, uneasy, line. uneasy line. Is there an incentive for somebody to be that mentor, to be that helper? Uh, you can level. Okay. Um, you can uh, possibly see how they've built their base. Um, you can possibly you know uh, uh, in, in any multiplayer sense gain a friend, gain a you know somebody that you can play with that you think plays well, and then can maybe you know uh, you can get their gamer tag and play with them, or like have them jump back in their world. Um, but. Uh, if you go into my game, Huber, and you discover items, those are bonus items, and you don't take those back into your world. Like you, like the like, if you discover that, and it's like, oh, cool, shotgun. You can like put that in my car. You can just like drop that on the floor and be like, I found this extra shotgun. Cool. Uh, so you get more items. You get a little bit of backup. Um, and again, this is a completely voluntary thing. It's kind of like ringing the bell in, in uh, Bloodborne or Souls, where mm-hmm. like you're inviting people into your game. So if you're afraid, if they're just like, mm-hmm. I just want to handle this on my own. Uh, uh, the the menus in State of Decay Two are glorious. Uh, I was very confused about what I was supposed to do in State of Decay One, and the game didn't necessarily give me a lot of time to figure that all out. You know, there was always that the the, the tension of me looking at meters and literally seeing like health go down, food go down. You know, and just being like, I just don't know what to do. Like, I just right. don't know like where the options are uh, to find this stuff. And you can survey towns. You can discover things like, oh, there's a gardening store. If we want to set up. You know, a gardening and get food from that and staff that, that's probably where we go to get that. So you're not just like, like I was, just kind of running into town, fingers crossed, hoping you find stuff. Oh, there's the police station. Probably weapons and ammo there. Um, and uh, I, can't, I don't remember specifically from State of Decay 1, but uh, there's a much more streamlined system uh, visually of what you need to accomplish these goals, uh, you know, what those benefits are going to be, uh, and where you place them in your, their base, how much they cost. Um, so, so I like that straightforwardness. Yeah, with the streamlining, uh, how are they presenting this information? Is it just like you're looking at it and you're seeing a window that says, here's everything this is going to do? Yeah, I presume you get your base, uh, you know, right off the bat. Mm -hmm. It's this church, I think, that we see in in the trailer and in the demo that they showed. So you get to there and you basically bring up a map that has, uh, you know, squares where you can put all of these plots so you can decide where you want them to be. And then it'll say, like, here's the tools that you need for it. Uh, And they are, they require specific skills. 
So that garden requires someone who knows how to garden. And so you might, uh, they found someone that in their past was a groundskeeper, and so they had that skill. Uh, one of the other people, the guy that he was like his favorite warrior, snored, and it pissed people off. And it was a, it was a negative. And you had to like balance that with other skills that you can teach people to Fun. make him worthwhile to the group. It's like Darkest not, Dungeon. And not bring morale down. Yeah. I think yeah. they had, I think morale was like even. I think it was like yeah. plus two. It was like oh, right in the middle. Sure. So they had some negative things, they had some positive things. And obviously skills, so he was a, uh, a martial arts choreographer back before the apocalypse, and so he said, obviously this is going to be my main melee character uh, to take out into the world. Um, so I didn't see anything uh, really past like the gameplay that was dem- uh, uh, demonstrated. They kind of just went through uh, the systems and specifically said like how you can manage that town. Sure. Uh, there was I don't know if they did uh, wave attacks on your base in the first State of Decay, uh, but the, the demo ended in uh, you know, all of these zombies coming from all directions, and mm-hmm. uh, he brought in his friends, so his friend was able to communicate. They stayed on opposite sides of the church, so like they don't they didn't know like where the enemies were going to come from, so that was like the first issue. Because because as you're going, you're controlling one survivor, and your other survivors are there in that space. And so they're going to come and try to attack people, and if they die, they die. And so, again, you have to like be careful about who you're controlling and where they are. John, i got to know something. Yeah. So there's a, there's a martial arts choreographer. Do you see that in the actual character in the video game? In how he fights? Or yes. In, no, I mean, it was it's just the same simple... You know, melee attacks with axes and bats and stuff like that. I see. So, Brandon, I, he, he did he did not have a Shaolin style. No, you're you're talking about uh, these various systems and the hard decisions that you have to make and making the best with what you have. And all that's really interesting. But you're gonna, also going to be spending a lot of time just wandering around the environment, killing zombies. What do you say to the person that says, "Man, it, those systems sound cool, but but is the combat any good?" Because in State of Decay One. It felt a little rough. It felt a little loose. Does it? Does it look more convincing here? Uh, it looks smoother, yeah. And the uh, again, like I, it was tough for me to get to a gun, and so like part of the difficulty with the combat mm-hmm. uh, I felt in the first game was that I kind of had to just make do with whatever I had. Right. And so I like that if you if you do enjoy guns more and you do want to get that, you know. Uh, do you want to find those resources? You can go out and get those. Um, if there is a weapon that you like, you can try to find more stuff like it. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I will not lie to you, Chef. It, it looked uh, it looked pretty pretty much committing to what they had established in the first game. Okay. Just again, animation much smoother, um, uh, difficulty much more managed. Like there wasn't a lot of um, there were some surprising moments. Like there were some moments where he would go in and searching something, and a zombie would just come running in the room. And he's like, oh wait, you know, and had to defend himself. Um, but uh, yeah, a, a devil may cry. This is not. This is very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, smack stuff with uh, blunt objects type of game. But it sounds like overall, I mean, if you're picking this Azure Broth for a game that you didn't like, you're, you're pretty much on the hook now for I'm, State of Decay 2. I'm very excited to return to this. Uh, when I first, when I knew they were going to do a sequel because the first game sold very well, mm-hmm. and I was hoping, like, I hope they don't rush that. I hope they don't do lots of strange DLC. I hope they just bunker down and just take everything that they learned and take another stab at it so and what happens, get the support of a Microsoft. What happens? What happens? When Brandon Jones, very excited, thinks, hey, this is a huge improvement over the first game. You're sitting there at 1 in the morning, downloading it on your Xbox One or your PC, and you get out there and you can't find a weapon. And then you, then one of your teammates dies, and then you die, and you're getting beat down again. Are you going to abandon it, or do you think that there are things in this game that even in the most dire of circumstances will kind of incentivize you to continue playing? I think one of the main issues that I had with the first game was the perception that there was a right thing I was not doing. Mm. I was looking at menus and seeing lots of options, but feeling that there's some kind of correct answer that I have missed. Some decision I should have made 20 minutes ago that I did not. And this game seems much more like, 
you need to decide how you want to survive in this world and go out into this world and invest in those things. I see. Uh, and so that the, uh, there, it was much easier to establish goals in this game and realize, like, I do have a mission heading out into this world, and I'm not just going to find the nearest building and go search every chest and fingers crossed that I find something cool. Brandon, I really like that. The chef has never seen an amateur such as yourself. It seems, <laughs> it seems like you've done this before. Like, maybe you had some secret training that you did not tell your other amateur chefs. But the spice provides the soul of the ramen. It distinguishes it from all other noodles and broth. And your spice, Brendan Jones, is you're somebody who loves the creator, who respects the creator, and I think appreciates the creator more than any other aspect. I think this is where the Brendan Jones rant on the frustration of leaks comes from. Because uh, I've seen, I've been around you now for, uh, I've interacted with you for the last six years. And somebody can talk to you, Brandon Jones, and they could say, this is what I've done, this is what I'm going on in my life. And you, you see the good in people, you will respond, you'll, be, you'll engage in that conversation, but you don't light up unless somebody shows you something. The way you interact with somebody who says, this is what I've made, versus this is what I'm doing versus speech is completely different. And uh, that's something I really admire in you. I think that's a good quality. But uh, this year, there were a lot of leaks. There were a lot of leaks. And I, I, on a show where it is a bunch of individuals coming out and unveiling things for the first time, uh, I want to ask you a question that you've answered many times before. Uh, but I want to specify it to this year's E3 because I think some of it maybe flies in the uh, face of what Brandon Jones has argued before. Because Mario and Rabbids came out and the entire internet hated it. They're like, we don't want this thing. What are Rabbids? Rabbids are stupid. Oh, Ubisoft, they just released broken games. It was a mountain of cynicism. And we thought when they unveiled it this year at E3 that it would confirm our worst fears that it was a company struggling to convince us about something that we didn't want. But it didn't happen. Brandon, mm -hmm. they demoed Mario and Rabbids, Battle Kingdom, Mario plus Rabbids, and it blew everyone away. It looked so charming. It looked deep. And it looked like they understood what they were working with. That leak did not destroy the enthusiasm for this game. And so do you think that it is not perhaps what is revealed beforehand, but the actual quality of the game itself, that a good game will be able to rise above a leak and it doesn't hurt the creators as much as you say it does. I think there's a little bit of luck there, to be honest. Hmm. Luck. I think, yes. Okay. I think it is a specific case. Uh, and uh, you let me know how much time I have, but I will lay out the case for you. Please. Um, you're dealing with a brand new IP. You're dealing with the combination of two IPs. But you're dealing with a brand new enterprise. So I would like to compare, as long as we're talking about Ubisoft, the leak of Assassin's Creed Origins yes. to uh, Mario plus Rabbids and argue that there was next to nothing that the team behind Assassin's Creed Origins could have done at this E3 to impress you. No. I disagree. All right. Wait a minute, because I, I think we have to bring in fellow amateur chef Michael Huber here. Yeah. Right. 
he was so excited for Assassin's Creed Origins. Yes. He went in believing that he was going to love it and walked away with some reservations. Right. So there's nothing it could have you, done. You really think there's nothing that could have that had, that, that might be a bit going? extreme, but okay. I think that Mario plus Rabbids, despite while 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 you may think the negative uh, attitude that was being pointed at that game was a negative going into the show, it was actually a positive because of what that game uh, ended up being, mm-hmm. and they didn't change that game after the leak happened that game was what it was mm-hmm. that's those systems have always been in place those characters have always been who they are we just didn't know about them right and the same thing with assassin's creed i think one of the big things about mario and rabbits was we were nervous about why why did this happen why why are you combining these two characters what is the end result of that and what could that possibly be and there were so many different permutations of where you could possibly take that concept and everybody basically chose to focus on all of the po- the negative things um, because the positives just didn't seem possible. Systems that deep, I doubt it. You know, like in, in something this that seems this comical and trivial, uh, a, a respect of a treatment of these characters that we love so much, uh, just the, the the jarringness of seeing you know a rabid Peach and a Mario together, like seeing like the look on Mario's face and like does that make sense? Like how comfortable am I going to be? And that uncertainty. That speculation, mm-hmm. uh, all of the wide open possibilities of that game is exactly where you want your game to be before E3. You want people to be talking about it. You want people to possibly be skeptical, to possibly be positive. You want to have division. You want to have turmoil. You want to have, if you got a good game, <laughs> if you meet that game and it's not good, there's nothing you can do. Again, where the luck came in. This happened to be a game that was leaked that ended up being a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. When Assassin's Creed gets leaked, you know exactly what that game is. This is a sequel to an established franchise that has had many, many, many entries that is focused on many different time periods. So you hear Egypt, and when you see pyramids, it does nothing. When you see sphinxes, it does nothing. When you see horses riding around in deserts, it does nothing. Because I've pictured exactly that for months now, years almost. That's what that leak did. It completely took all of the wind out of that announcement. And that's what I mean by what on earth can you do in an open world game to show you in just a small amount of time the expansive craziness of the stuff that you can do compared to how your mind just melted looking at Mario plus Rabbids. Like really seeing like how these systems work and constantly now asking questions. Whereas I played Assassin's Creed Origins and I liked it, but it did not surprise me because it couldn't. Couldn't it have, though? I mean, this is a game that, that when we think about the first Assassin's Creed, the idea of playing as a character who is from the present and going into the past and that reveal, that, that shock with the original Assassin's Creed, that there were actually two halves of this game, they can absolutely surprise you. They, they have this whole sci-fi element that can go in any direction that True. it wants to, but... The last however many Assassin's Creed games have basically abandoned it and made it a throwaway thing that feels like it has to be included. So they have this huge chunk of this game where they can do anything and they are consistently doing nothing and you're telling me there's no room for surprises? I I will admit that I think Mario plus Rabbids is a more exciting game. It is a game I'm more eager to check out and is a game I think will perform better Mm -hmm. uh, in the public eye, be that sales, be that reception, uh, be that public opinion. Um... But I think the gap 
between that gap that when it's filled at E3, when that vacuum shuts and it, we realize, yes, this is great, all the, all the, the worries I had are now gone, mm-hmm. is so much smaller. The, the, the possibility to make that impact, I think, is so slim. Uh, especially because you have to consider that you can't just make an E3 demo in like a month. Like this takes time to put this stuff together. So like the the course that Assassin's Creed Origins was on, the the surprise that they were planning might have possibly hinged on the fact that you didn't know it was in Egypt. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like once that happens, now you got to totally shift. Whereas like I don't think you had to shift at all after Rabbids. I don't mm. think they had to do anything. They but, just they saw that reaction and they know they know it's going to be deep. They know we they know you know we worked with Nintendo and we were respectful to these characters. But is that just potentially making an excuse for the thing itself? Because imagine if the rumor, for example, with Assassin's Creed Origins, is that you go to a bunch of different places. Sure. Like or you are in modern times. The whole thing. I mean, is that? Is maybe the response is is all of the air sucked out because the thing that leaked wasn't all of that all that valuable in the first place? Uh, possibly. I just think, I think no matter what Assassin's Creed game you make, I think no matter what how radical you make things happen in that franchise, mm-hmm. y- y- it's going to pick a time period and it's going to embody that. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where most of the mystery lies. That th- those are the things that I, I that's going to take my breath away. I, I hear you know they they announce London. I hear London all of a sudden. Okay, or I hear France. You know, right. but like, but what? But how is it really going to look? Sure. And once I announce that, I just start to fill that picture in my head where I think the picture of Rabbids was non-existent, where the picture in my head of, of assassins in Egypt was very clear. And when that was shown to me, it wasn't like, oh, finally, it was like, that's what I thought. So, John, <laughs> was... here, remember when you were talking about Spider-Man games mm-hmm. and you were talking about the games had just become, it's Spider-Man, but, it's Spider-Man, but symbiotes, it's Spider-Man, but alternate timelines, it's right. Spider-Man, but... And that's what Assassin's Creed is right now. It's Assassin's Creed, but in London. Assassin's Creed, but in Egypt. They right. could just say, hey, let's just focus on Assassin's Creed. They're, that game could exist. True. Uh, major difference between the two. Uh, one is a property that exists outside of video games. So if you have different teams working on different Spider-Man games and different studios and different times. It was Beanox for, for like five years in a row. True, but like there was the ultimate Spider-Man game that was based on the comic books. There's the movie license stuff that they did. There was stuff that was based on, you know, like they, there was di- there was like the Spider-Man and Friends game that they made. Remember when it was like all top down and like, uh, you know. No, 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 no. It was called yeah, Spider-Man yeah. and Friends, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friends. Or what was it? Friends or Foe. Friends or Foe. So, Spider-Man so I just think it has the, the trajectory of both of those franchises are different because you have one where it, it, every opportunity is an opportunity to shake it up because people want you to. They're like, please don't make that last game. Where the Assassin's Creed, I think there is a contingency that is like, please give me that, give me that thing I like. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and right. change it up, but do both at the same time. Uh, and um, I think every time a leak happens, uh, it's like you're, on, it's like you're in a car and you're on black ice and your car's spinning and it goes out of control, and and you and you you steer the wheel as hard as you can, but you're at, you have no control over your vehicle, and you you see that that edge of that cliff is coming. And you hope to God you don't slip over it. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. And I think when you don't, or I think when you do, and you, 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 you ace the landing, and you survive, and you make it around that corner, and you let out a sigh of relief, and you get home safe, I, I, I don't think it has to do with, like, I don't think you give developers enough of an opportunity to adjust to those things happening in a way that will truly excite us the way an Evil Within 2 does, the way a Metro, you know, uh, Exodus does, the way something that, when I'm watching it for the first time, my brain cells are all on fire. I'm, 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 I'm absorbing. I'm sipping every spice of this broth. The, the, the taste in my mouth is completely full, because so much new stuff has happened 
and it's so much for me to process. Um, where there was not a lot for me to process with it, a game that uh, it almost I had pictured for so long. It almost sounds to me like you're saying it's limiting what you think it could be. And, like, and perception is so much leading up to sure, E3. Sure. Whereas if you're watching a trailer and you're seeing just sand and you're just seeing camels, you're like, wait, what is this? What could this mm-hmm. be? And that that little bit, those five seconds before they show uh, an assassin on a perch or they show an right. eagle or something, right? That matters because as soon as we saw sand and as soon as we saw the pyramid, we knew it was Assassin's Creed. We're, we're all going to feel a little different about E3 next week. We, all, we always do. You know, yes. We come down off that high, we sober up a little bit, we, we rest and we think back and we go, I'm, I mean, I've already had changed my opinions about things that people announced where like a couple of days later, I'm like, wait, that kind of sucked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I I've, don't think, yes. leaks don't afford you that ability. There's no high. You know, mm-hmm. there's no, there's not that moment of that, that, that spark, that explosion, right. that rush. Right, because people are also already judging it before they see anything. And I think if, if you, if something is negatively or positively judged before it exists, whatever other direction represents the truth, it has to fight against that now. It's not starting at that point. And in some games already, you're in a better position to do right. that. Uh, Chef, I, I, I spoke out of turn by saying they couldn't do anything. And I want to apologize. I'm, 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 new. No. I'm new. This is my first time. So no. See, I, I was very excited and eager uh, to make my point. No, I, a chef never apologizes. He just makes new food. That's, <laughs> that's what happens. You're, you're new. You don't understand that, but you will. You will understand that. Now it is time to taste the food oh my God. that you have brought here. Closing the show, last but certainly not least, the most elusive chef, Mm -hmm. Chef Kyle Bossman. Ben, I want to tell you something that I hope the chef doesn't know. Some backstory. Please. I have to translate for him. Yeah. Um, Well, please don't tell him this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ramen rivals with Chef Hubert. You were ramen rivals? Yeah. In, in the chef dormitory, we are across from each other. Our rooms are across the hallway. One, one morning, I put a sign. I woke up earlier than Chef Huber, and I put a sign on his door that says, you will never reach my level. <laughs> and the next morning when I woke up, again, pretty early, there was a sign on my door that said, please work harder. And for weeks, we competed to see who could wake up earlier to work harder, work harder. This morning, we woke up at the same time, and he looked at me, and he says, Tonight, I'm bringing unconventional noodles. And I panicked, because I was going to bring you some normal noodles. So I went back into my own little chef dormitory, and I went beneath my bed, and I drug out a little red box that I stole from my grandfather's attic. Within this red box, devil hair noodles. Those haven't been seen in a hundred years. <laughs> the noodles I present to you tonight. Wait. Hmm. Before you present, there is something you should know. Oh. This is not coming from the chef. This is coming from me. Because oh, okay. if the chef knew this, you would be gone. Oh. <laughs> it was said when you agreed to train for 100 years yeah. with the chef. Mm-hmm. That, there were, that, that you had to enter a new state. Yeah. 
that you would put aside all personal attachments. Mm-hmm. Family, friends, lovers, yes. rivals as well. You are supposed to become the ramen. So if if the chef finds out about this rivalry, yeah, he will kill you. <laughs> That's why I try to keep it a secret. What is the devil hair ramen? Metal Gear Survive. <laughs> but, but, Kojima's not making that. Yeah. It's a multiplayer-focused Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. How could you bring that to my table? Mm-hmm. I bring you Metal Gear Survive. <laughs> Prove yourself. <laughs> Devil. Ben, when this game was presented to us today, there was a nervousness even from the PR people who are normally pretty confident and jolly. They know what they're working on. The developers who are working on this game know that they what they are working on. They know they are working on a game that is undesired. <laughs> it's true. But this is still a multiplayer Metal Gear Solid game. But it still has the mechanics of Metal Gear Solid 5. And so there's still something to this game. It is still worth a play. And so I played this game today. Metal Gear Survive is... is It's a straight-up zombie game. <laughs> They're referred to as creatures. Those are zombies. You're fighting waves of enemies who come into your base, and you can set up, as you do in many zombie games, obstructions for those zombies using uh, materials that you collect. This sounds like everything Kyle Bossman hates. Mm. Except for those first two words of this game's title, Metal Gear. <laughs> and so it is. It's that is the Metal Gearness of this the differentiating factor? Because this game's got vibes. Mm-hmm. Wait it a has, minute. Sure. You say Metal Gearness. Yeah. We can't just hammer it away. What does that mean? And what does that mean in a multiplayer context? How do you put Metal Gearness into into a multiplayer game? Uh, tactical espionage action is how I'd respond to that. Uh, in a Call of Duty zombie game, you're blasting. Uh, you know what? Call of Duty zombies, I should give them credit. Their story and really interesting things to discover and explore. Uh, but it's definitely not tactical espionage action, and that's really what this brings to it. What if Metal Gear Solid was a zombie game? Uh, it's there. This is what that is. Uh, we learned today there's a single-player component to this game that will even have a story. Will we- Will it be good? Who knows? Will it be weird? Yes, positively. Positively? Positively weird. Uh, it has been delayed to 2018, I should say, uh, to make this a better game. Mm-hmm. What kind of characters did we see, Chef Bossman? Great question. You make your character. Mm. You, make your, you make your character and it is persistent. It is the character you play as through the single-player hey, story. My next question about that specific yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Metal Gear, the franchise. Yeah. Has the arguably the greatest catalog of characters in video game history. Mm-hmm. Does your created character stand among them, or is he just generic wireframe? He or she? Mm-hmm. You can create a female too. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Generic wireframes, or do they have personality? Mine has personality because I've designed the character. <laughs> and here's the thing. This does not take place in an alternate universe. This takes place in what we were told is an alternative universe. 
What could that even mean? <laughs> I was really hoping for an answer. There. <laughs> <laughs> just, sorry, inappropriate dig. Uh, we all make weird mistakes. Uh, this is a strange game. It's uh, you collect resources throughout the map as 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 Snake did in Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, uh, you, you know. Exploring, there's a risk reward to exploring outside what, the map. What is the map? Is it is it is this a map we've been to? Did you recognize it from MGS5? Absolutely not. Uh-huh. Uh, new maps, new crazy maps. The the architecture of these maps are interesting. You're in a uh, new world. You're in an, an, an alternative <laughs> world. Alternative world. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, there, you're rewarded for exploring in between rounds. Uh, you can go and find uh, the little walker gears, and obviously that's really good for mowing down the creatures who are honestly. Zombies. Uh, here's a strange thing about this game. At the end uh, of our, our multiplayer match, you collected prizes. The prizes you get are, are, are is loot, yes, but merely recipes for loot. Everything in this game dies. Your weapons eventually break. Your armor eventually breaks. Nothing is permanent. And so you have to keep collecting these resources. It's the survive of Metal Gear Survive. Mm-hmm. Nothing lasts forever. If you hit a really cool sword, if you get a really cool gun, it mm-hmm. will eventually break just from using it too much. But Sounds w- like uh, Let It Die. Kind of like that. Is that Spe- fair, a fair comparison? I've never played Let It Die, but oh, sure. Okay. If Yeah, any breakable weapon type game. Yeah, it's, okay. it's like that. Speaking of Let It Die, that's, yeah. a, that's a free-to-play game. Yeah. That is a game that costs $0, and mm-hmm. the way they make that up is if you want to make things a little bit easier, you can spend some money. And this is Konami, a company that you had to pay $60 for the Phantom Pain. Yeah. After paying for a demo of it called Ground Zeroes. No, no. This is no, the chef no, speaking. No, this is not no, Ben Moore. No, chef. No, this chef. This is not Ben Moore. Oh. <sighs> This has not been more. I'm just translating, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, of course. Sometimes there are mistranslations. Of course. He's so defiant. Yeah. yeah. A good chef is. <laughs> In Phantom Pain, yeah. there are microtransactions. Yeah. It was filthy. Yes. It was implemented filthily. Yeah. Does it not concern you that this multiplayer-only game is just an excuse to shove as many of those in as possible? This is a $40 game. Or no, I'm sorry. It is a less than $60 game. It's not actually determined what the price will be. This is going to be a dirty game. A dirty game? This is devil hair pasta. This is going to be a game that will have dirty microtransactions. You will feel dirty for playing this game. You will feel wrong. You will feel like you're doing a bad thing. But there is still a fun game beneath this. So you were enjoying these microtransactions. (laughs) I'm with you, man. I'm on the same wave. It's weird. It feels weird to like this game. And what I do like about this game, what I would say is that this game does have its own unique vibe. It's not just copied and pasted. It's not just a cheap cash-in. It's like, let's find a weird aspect. Let's make this its own strange game. It's not Metal Gear Solid Survive. It's Metal Gear Survive. Mm -hmm. And it is, successfully, its own thing. Its own game. Did anybody show up? Any characters that we no, know? No, no, no. At all? No. Is there a uh, radio component like the like a codec? Codec? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, but Ky- maybe in the story, we saw none of the story, and they were not willing to talk about it. Kyle, uh, I, normally for this format, I like yeah. to only ask questions and sure. not insert 
but yeah, myself please, too much. We probably won't we, talk about we, it for the rest. We of the played night, it yeah. together. Yeah. Um, and so there's just a couple of things that I want to talk. About. We were talking about that flavor that this game has. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the weapons. Yeah. Because. Uh, Metal Gear is known primarily for guns. Uh, however, there was a giant, what can only be decide, described as a futuristic greatsword that a heavy character was yeah, using. Yeah, you said sword, and I was like, yeah. Huh? yeah, It was a big, thick sword. And like a jet-propelled hammer. Yeah. And it felt really good. Yeah. <laughs> There's cool, weird melee weapons. Yeah. That you feel like are kind of constructed in the scenario where we're in a strange universe, alternative universe, where we just have to pick up things and, and fight with those. Right. And you were talking about those side missions, and yeah. like I think when you, ex- I think this is a game that when you explain, it sounds really bad. Like, yep, it's probably going to be filthy with microtransactions. Yeah. Yep, you're fighting zombies in wave-based multiplayer gameplay. You could play this hundred times before, but it was like very tiny things that. Uh, separate it so you have these side missions in between rounds where you can go and what I liked about the design is the side mission that I went the second side mission that I did I encountered an enemy that I hadn't encountered before it was an armored enemy and none of my weapons worked on it mm-hmm. in order to damage it I had to get the thing that it was guarding mm-hmm. and then I could go and demolish it and I thought that was really cool where I could take this huge risk and just like because if you if you get hit by this thing like huge chunks of your health are going away and you're not even at the final and most intense round of the whole thing and so i thought that was a really cool component of it for sure yeah it's a game that would never exist if konami respected kojima like he deserved (laughs) however it's a game it's a video game and it's fun and it's sometimes you have to i don't know you you don't have to at all you don't have to play this game but this game will exist and it will be fun and interesting and you will take a shower after you play. Mm, please take a shower after you play this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kyle, I have a message from the chef. Oh. This is like you coming into the restaurant without a shirt on. <laughs> you don't do that. When you come into the restaurant, you treat it like a holy place. And I can feel the filth from here. <laughs> You've gone rogue. The greatest chefs in the world go rogue to prove the world that there can be a different way. But like any way, there are three components. What filth will you cover the noodles with? It's a thing. I knew I was bringing unconventional noodles today, and so I I needed a sure thing. This broth is so tasty. Huh? This is some tasty, thick, salty broth. Nani? Moss. Moss, dude, I tried to play this. The game is called Moss. God. Now, you may have seen this in Sony's press conference in the most boring part of their press conference when they went through six VR games. (laughs) This was the most promising of the six VR games. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a game in which you play... It's very interesting. This is is the whole thing. Okay, you know what? I'm going to start with the developers. We'll start there. Uh, The team who made this is called Polyarch. And... I don't like to do this normally. They're, they're former Bungie people. And, nor- I, you know, anybody can be from anywhere. You know what I mean? It doesn't make you better for being from Bungie. But the thing is, you play this game for a second, and it's kind of like, this is, who are you? And they're like, well, we're formerly Bungie. It's like, oh, that makes it a little more sense now because the animations are great, the visuals are great, the <laughs> thought put into this world is great. These people said, look, we formed this studio. We want to make VR games. VR is still a small platform. 
you can't make a big budget game for VR and make your money back. And so we knew we had to make a small game. And what we wanted to do is just, if we're going to have to make a small game, make it compact. Make everything in that small game matter. They said they were inspired by how in the original Legend of Zelda, there is some sort of secret on every square. Every, every rectangle you travel to, there's something in there. And so they wanted to make a game like that, just a game full of little mysteries, a game full of attention to detail. And that's what this is. You think of VR and the doors it opens, but it also is inhibiting in a lot of ways. You have to uh, account for VR in a lot of ways. And so what this is, it is a adventure platformer uh, where you're gonna watch a little character move around and you control that character. However, they also want to account for you, yourself, peering into this world as not just a camera. So you, the, your vision, you, the player, are also a character. You're called the reader. And that's what, in that opening trailer, you see yourself look into the reflection. But it's not just that. You, in, so in two ways. So you're holding the controller. You're holding the PlayStation 4 controller. It's the only way to play this. With the PlayStation 4 controller, sorry. I'm surprised. Oh, that you're using the PlayStation 4 controller. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and I was too. I was like, can I use the moves? And they said, no, no, no. You'll see why. And so with the PlayStation 4 controller, you interact with things in the environment. You can brush things. Uh, you can, like, brush the ferns and it'll interact with those. You can uh, rub Quill's ears. The Quill's the name of the mouse. And she'll, like, she'll, like a cute little mouse, she'll like it if you rub her ears. Yeah, you could rub her belly even, and she's just like... <laughs> um, so you can you interact with the environment. That's also how you solve puzzles. You can lift chunks out. You can rotate things. You can like move things from places to places, and it feels like you are actually having an impact on this world. If if you pick up the mouse, if you touch the mouse, you, right trigger is just like grab. Mm -hmm. uh, you feel her heartbeat in the controller. Yeah, it's in, it's that interaction, that level, that that connection is really incredible in this game, and that's what it's about. Uh, the mouse is called Quill, you're called the reader, and that's sort of the idea, is is you're creating the story together. Player camera, player mouse, and you're controlling both of them. You control the mouse itself uh, with the left analog stick and X to jump, square to attack, that's it. And, and R2 is grab. And so you're controlling with your PlayStation 4 controller both the actions you do as the reader and the actions Quill takes as as the player. Why do you need the mouse to complete what the reader is trying to do? So cool. So the mouse is telling a story. The mouse is is the one who is attacking the enemies. Is going from environment to environment. Sure. I mean, I guess because you're just in a disembodied spirit, you could float oh. through to the very end. But you are observing the story of Quill mm -hmm. and what she's up to. And her you're heroics. disembodied. Is, is was the the yeah. question really that like yeah. you you can't attack those things because right. you're much bigger than it. So I can't just stomp my foot down and crush these little tiny enemies. Yeah. And actually, the Zelda thing's fair because it does work in in play like square by square and so you'll see the entrance to a temple there but it is two squares away and so you know uh, uh quill will move through this square and then you'll the next one will load and then you're in this next environment and she's closer and you can get your eyes right up to it or, or back up far away and uh you are in every environment you're in a forest and you can look up and feel the sun shining through those leaves and you can feel when you're in a temple and uh, the echoes and just the way, every, like you, you're, it's 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 a it's a temple. And what's cool is 
They've thought these things through. They know who built that temple. And you just have faith in, in the way that they, they explain everything and the way that they promise uh, that they care about this world, that the temple's there for a reason, and that Quill, the things that she collects, each of them means something or meant something at a time to these ancient people. Uh, very short demo, but uh, uh, a lot of really interesting puzzle things that are so fun to do. Not just because of this very important connection between the reader and Quill, but because of VR, because of being able to peek. Okay, so basically I pull up a tower, and it's got like windows and, and things were for Quill to move forward. Mm-hmm. But I can peek inside of this tower and, and watch her do her thing as I rotate it around. Just super interesting things. Uh, so you talk about the Zelda comparison. You talk about yeah. squares and yeah. how they're trying to have a secret in every square. Yeah. Uh, that language concerns me a little bit because you were saying how valuable it was to feel like you were actually in this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a square, to me, just that word, it sounds limiting. That was when a bad you... idea on my part. Okay. D- does it does it does it feel like it's just a bunch of divided up sections, or is there a continuousness to it? There, so it, it is a bunch of divided up segments. Yes. Like that's the, the honest truth. Yes. But because you can see where you're going next and you can see where you came from at every point, uh-huh. it does feel connected. And okay. I think that's very important. Sure. So it sounds to me like this is a game that uses the technology to create a deeper bond with the character. Yes. What I'm worried about is that there are going to be some obvious plays. So you said that you could feel the heartbeat. Is mm-hmm. there going to be a segment where the heartbeat has gone out? Is there going to be a segment where it's clearly in danger and you're frankly trying to... Uh, it? It's just, I wonder... What is beyond, hey, here's a cute character that you want to protect? Mm-hmm. Is it more than that? Is this actually, like... Not somebody you believe in just because of how they're presented, but because of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, so the the answer to your first question is that if she dies, uh, you revive her. Mm-hmm. I had I didn't see it in action because I'm too good to get hit once. But uh, apparently, uh, it's got like three HP. The, or she does Quill. Uh, but then you revive her by picking her up, and that's the heartbeat mechanic again at work. So yeah, mm-hmm. it will go out. Okay. Uh, to answer your second question. Uh, if it's cheap or not, if you'll ever respect the character, absolutely. The game is about her heroics, mm-hmm. and basically, but she sounds invincible. Uh, she's that, invincible because you're by her side. Every video that's game a character is invincible. I have to. Well, you so also pick no it up. Sticks. So if she's ever in danger, it's like, oh no, some things are running at her. Can you just pick her up and be like, no, you can't danger anymore. But you can just revive her unlimitedly. Yeah, like any video game character. Like you still get a game over. So you re- you restart. You don't just like, oh, she's down. Okay, pick her up, revive her, and then you continue. It like goes back. There's like checkpoints. It's a really or... good question. I didn't see it in practice. Okay, oh, yeah. I should have died on purpose. Yeah, you're too good. You're too, too good. good. I'm sorry. I'm too good. good. Too good. Yeah. Uh, but then, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think. I, I think w- the way that they explain the story is we're we're looking at a hero's journey for this mouse. Mm-hmm. They actually care about this character, Quill, the mouse, deeply, and I think that's so interesting. Uh, and basically the way I, I assume the game starts, but the demo started certainly, is opening this book in this giant library, uh, and we're learning the story of Quill, and so I think that's part of it, is, is we're, we're interacting with the story of Quill. It sounds to me like you put Forbidden Noodles in 
and then feverishly tried to cover it up with the tastiest broth you could find. That is a... That is a pairing that almost sounds to me like the two cancel each other out. So it is time for the spice. Mm-hmm. This is the time... Yeah, this is a really differentiating thing. The right thing that, uh, that ties it all together. Mm-hmm. And... What I want to talk about is presentation. Mm. Presentation of video games. Um, because when you have these press conferences, which I would argue are sort of, it wouldn't be E3 if we didn't have big press conferences to look forward to. Our minds went wild with possibilities of, of new games. Uh, if I was just a cold, hard businessman, and I was planning these press conferences. I would want to. I would want to put the most exciting things in there. I would want to have the big announcements. I would want to have the things that make the most sense. But what about all of these games? You walk around E3, you see so many games that are not in those press conferences, and because E3 is open to the public this year, the lines are bigger. And so, if you're somebody that's covering games, it's harder to get in and play even all of the big things that you're trying to see. And so you have all of these games that are harder to get access to. Is that a problem? Does that matter? Are we focused only on what we're being shown? Is there not enough of a considered effort to go out there and find things that are they, this person didn't pay a booth for. They're just somebody on their laptop that came to E3 and are frantically trying to show it to as many people as possible. What about those people? Are their games less worthy of being talked about? Yeah, that's interesting, Ben. Uh, Sony is in a weird spot. I'm going to call them out immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this weird, you must be this tall to ride this ride for their press conferences. Mm-hmm. What about Moss? Is Moss that tall? Moss it was sold PlayStation VR, and that's why it was part of this PlayStation VR portion. Mm. If Moss had no VR integration, it would not have been in that press conference. That's easy to say. Uh, Sony did not even let B-tier level games into their press conference this year. They said, all AAA or nothing, baby. And you're right, Ben. It's almost... Mm, it was, it was heartwarming when we started to see indie games become part of press conferences because we said these games matter and it's cool that they're getting the attention that they deserve. Sony's booth like, didn't even have any indies. And it normally has rows it of them. It has tons. There were none. Microsoft's booth, also no indies. No there were a couple. There was like a back corner in yeah. Microsoft. But Ooh, that, that back corner is what I want to talk about. Yeah, that was because, good. Tell me about that back corner. It was a corner. juicy back corner. Uh... What I mean by the back corner yeah. is for the the last couple of years now, when Microsoft has done a press conference, they'll be talking about games, yeah. uh, and then they'll have the ID at Xbox section, yeah. which is great, and they show great things there, and there's absolutely enthusiasm there. I'm not trying to deny them that, but it's still, these these are now the indie games. It's, it's not just confidently intermixed with everything else, mm-hmm. just like at Sony. Now here are the VR games. Yeah. Like, they have to prepare you. Yeah. Like they have to quarantine it from everything else so the, the other things can be so exciting. Yeah. Is that a problem? Or are they doing the right thing? Is that, is that, do people want that sort of presentation? So I'm going to say, 
business-wise. You're you're talking to corporate bossmen here. Yeah. They're doing the right thing. If you look at YouTube views, if you look at the trailers that got a huge amount of attention, you'll see Spider-Man, you'll see God of War, you'll see Days Gone. They're getting the YouTube views because they were given that emphasis at that time, mm-hmm. and that was it. Uh, they're, they're programmed in this sort of idea of we don't want to bore a soul. We don't want anybody to be bored at any moment. We only want it to be huge, 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 huge the whole time through. It's hard to say, corporate bossman's hard to say, you programmed that wrong. You should have put little interesting indies in there. You do. You have an interesting indie game on your store every single week. Would it have hurt to mention one of them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, they would say, yes, it would. Mm-hmm. This is our showcase. I guess what I would say is it, it's, it's disheartening uh, to be an indie developer with no means of attention. And... It's, it's probably one of the hardest parts after your game is developed is just getting anyone to look at it, getting mm-hmm. anybody to talk about it on any podcast, getting anybody to stream it. And you know that if that one huge person streams it, you finally get the attention, you finally start getting momentum. Otherwise, you can't. Otherwise, your game dies and you lost money mm-hmm. on the years it took to develop it. And so it's super interesting, Ben. It's, it's because... We're entertained by the games we're entertained by, and we can't help that. We can't right. tell an audience that they should like indies more because they like what they like, and they like the broad things because broad things are the things that most people like. You know, it, it is that simple. And so it, it's hard to tell anybody they have an obligation to to draw more attention to the smaller games uh, when it's really the obligation is on anyone to discover games for themselves. The truth is... My heart, my heart says, put those interesting indies into your your press conference. My brain says, no way, keep them out. You're making money, you're getting the views, keep them out. And my heart says, give them the attention. They need it. You can make them. You can make their world. And it's not as if Microsoft, and it's not as if PlayStation, it's not as Nintendo. They all love independent games, but they don't need them in that one particular spotlight in that one particular moment. They say this is when we need to represent our brand at its strongest. And so for that reason, I got to understand. I got to I got to side with the corporate side on that one. They do each in their own way support the independent games in incredible ways. They do. And so maybe not at E3. I would like for it to be different, but I understand that it's not. But don't you have to start somewhere? And, and don't the- you don't you have to have that year where you say we're opening with this? Yeah. We're opening with this because we believe in it. And then you get resident sleepers in Twitch chat. Yeah, but you're going to get resident sleepers no matter what you do. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, Ben, is is for Sony to say this deserves the attention more than they opened with Uncharted. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be wrong. That would be simply wrong. Just, I'm sorry. Just, it wouldn't be simply wrong because there are more interesting games than Uncharted The Lost Legacy. But... Uncharted The Lost Legacy is Sony's brand, and that's their time to show off who they are, and I get why they do that. Uh, I do not want to take away from your spice, but there's been something that has I've, I've flipped sides on. Okay. Uh, and that has to do with Dragon Ball Fighters, Because Dragon Ball Fighters is a game being made by Arc System Works, who, yeah. quite fairly, many people, it's not a small number of people, know that Arc System Works has done very, very, very great fighting games. They've yeah. done Guilty Gear, they've done Blaze Blue, they've done Persona 4 Arena. Um, but a lot of the E3 presentations I go through, 
when they talk about a game from the developer, let's say this is what this this developer has worked on. During my presentation for Dragon Ball Fighters, even when they were explaining mechanics that were like nearly identical to other Arc System Works games, they didn't say, "Oh yeah, it's like this from Guilty Gear, from this other game that this developer made." It was like they didn't like Arc System Works. What matters is that they're working with Dragon Ball for most people, yeah. and that it looks good, not that they have this incredible pedigree. And that made me mad. I wanted that recognition for that work that they had done. Oh, sure. Dragon Ball Fighters looks so good and feels so good because of that experience, because of these new fighters and these new worlds and these new systems that they've made. It's informed every smart decision that you're seeing in Dragon Ball Fighters, and it was so infuriating to me to see that shoveled off to the side. Think of the tutorial that Fighters is going to have. Right. Yeah, it's going to have a good tutorial because of those other games. Right. Yeah. This is all coming from somewhere. Yeah. It's not just, oh, this developer lucked into it. Mm -hmm. But then I thought to myself, but wait, you could also take a glass half full approach with this, where if all of those people who just love Dragon Ball, if they're just in there for Dragon Ball, and they play this, and they get so attached for it, they're going to do that research. I think about Super Smash Bros. Melee and Fire Emblem, right? Where people loved Roy and Mars so much that they went and they found out about those games. And there was a hunger created from this fighting game for those characters. Yeah. And that it's okay if people... We have to accept, I think, that people, given the right circumstances will be willing to learn and appreciate over time. And just because they don't know right now mm -hmm. doesn't mean they won't know in the future. Yeah. You look at even a huge game that got announced, Evil Within 2, AAA, yeah. huge budget. Yeah. The amount of interest for Evil Within 1 now is huge. Yeah. So that just kind of reiterates that of like, you know, it takes time to maybe gain interest on, on some things, whether it's a small game or a big game. Brandon, what do you think about that? What do you think if you're the one calling the shots and saying, hey, we have this amazing game. Nobody knows what it is. It's a brand new thing. It's from a no-name developer. Do we put it in the show? I think um, uh, press conferences uh, are, 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 are like a plate of delicious food. Um, a bento box, say. Um, Wait, a plate of delicious food or a bento box? I, I will choose a bento box okay, in this, okay, in this okay, analogy. Sure. <laughs> recognizing that it is possibly more appropriate given the circumstances. Uh, you have lots of options. Uh, there's many things to enjoy. They don't all taste the same. Uh, they don't have the same consistency. You might not like certain things that are available in this box as much as you like others. And so it's up to you how you would want to eat that bento box. You might want to just maybe get the tough stuff out of the way first and then eat your favorites later. Or just go straight for the favorites, maybe even skip all the bad stuff. What I would recommend is to pace yourself. So you 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 do something that is is that you enjoy that's a staple that you know is you before you put it in your mouth you know it's going to taste good. And then maybe while that taste is still in your mouth, go for something that looks strange. I think that might be some kind of sea creature, I'm not sure. Um, that you might end up appreciating or you might say, "No, that didn't work out so well, but I still got that other tasty bite there." Mm. And you that's how you work your way through it. And so I think putting six VR games in a row was bad. I think if you 
they, they had a weird VR significance. They brought in this like weird like lights on the side. Right. They had this weird like label. Like it was just like these are all VR games, everybody. Mm-hmm. Like don't freak out. Yeah. It's VR. Yeah. No matter what we show you, just context. If it doesn't look as good as it something should on the PlayStation Four Pro, it's right. because it's VR. Yeah. And I think all you need is just like VR at the beginning. I'm, I'm good. You know, it's like you, you you set the scene. You know, the the Sony Computer Entertainment America presents. Right before that, just give me a little VR ding, and then I'm fine. You don't need to like put the VR kids in the corner and like get to the VR table, kids. Uh, so I think that because in a press conference you don't want to see what's happening. You don't want to know. Ah, the lights haven't gone away. The next thing's VR. You want to constantly be surprised. And so I think they should have. Um, maybe not wedge the cool stuff at beginning and end and paste it out better. Chef Michael Cooper, Chef Brandon Jones, and Chef Kyle Bossman, thank you for submitting your noodles and broth tonight. Kyle, I have a message. Mm. The chef will not eat your noodles. He will not taste them. Hold on. He is a, he is a, he is a master who has spent his entire life purifying his soul to work on the greatest culinary delights that the world has ever seen. Mm. He will not taint his soul tonight with those devil noodles. It will not happen. (laughs) It will not happen. But, even though he is breaking tradition and not eating your noodles, he will accept you on the next step of this journey for your boldness. But you cannot do it again. The chef says that he will see you back next year and that you will learn two small details that you must think about and prepare for. The first is the name. The name of the chef. His name is Boronobu Shizuya. That will never be said again. If you forget it, you will be punished. And you must address him by that name. It will not be said on any podcast. It will not be said offhand. There will be no drafted tweets with that name. That is the one and only time it will ever be said. And second, next year, he has decided that you are all finally worthy. Even amateur chef Brendan Jones. This was his first bowl. He will take you to his homeland next year to show you some special ingredients for some new noodles and broth. And his homeland is not in Japan. Oh, what a tease. Thank you all for joining me for the E3 2017 edition of Frame Trap Noodles and Broth. I know we're getting very crazy, but I hope you enjoyed the games that they presented, how they presented them, can as I have well an as epilogue? the spice. You can absolutely have the epilogue. Oh, I, want, I want to shake Huber's hand. Yes. And, and look him in yes. the eyes and say, you did great today. <laughs> I also wanted to try Chef Bossman's noodles. Oh, so after the chef is yeah. left, I wanted to try them. Wait, epilogue. epilogue. Wait, 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 wait. wait. You're, you're going to taint your soul? I want to taste them. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so intrigued. Please. <laughs> I, I, I run outside and call my mom right away. I was not expecting to to desire. <laughs> I was not expecting to desire these noodles, but Chef Bossman. <laughs> so I've left two. Prepared them in such a way. I've left two of them. Okay. That I could not yeah. restrain myself. <laughs> oh. oh. 
What happened to you? I am changed. You're changed? I'm changed. I see a red hair grow <laughs> in one of his eyebrows. How will that change manifest next year? <laughs> That's going to be it for Frame Trap. We're going to return next time, and it'll be what you've been playing. It will be a hotake. Mm-hmm. There might be a forbidden word. Huber may already know what that forbidden word is. <laughs> <laughs> and there will be emails. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope if you've never seen Frame Trap before, this gives you kind of an idea of how it's it's what I want it to be and what I hope it is. I hope it's a blend of the serious discussion and I hope it's a blend of the silliness in equal measure because you need both to have a good time. Thank you all for watching and we're going to be right back. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave Twitch if you're watching right now. We're going to be back with some impressions. We have so much to cover. We're going to be here until 2 a.m. when Damiani abandons us for Aorzia. Please look forward to it.